This is the Carlin versus Joe podcast on ESPN Radio. Good Wednesday afternoon. I hope everyone's excited for what should be possibly the best weekend of football of the entire calendar year. No, that's not a hot take. This is Carlin and Joe, Carlin versus Joe course on espn radio the espn app presented by progressive insurance his name is mike wells my name is Braden gall in for the guys of course we've got cleveland the cleveland browns and probably your coach of the year despite what mike wells will tell you uh and kevin stefanski uh trying to go for win number 11 with their fourth starting quarterback joe flacco on an absolute tear trying to clinch a playoff spot on thursday night you've got friday bowl games and then you that, that is capped of course by the missouri ohio state cotton bowl which obviously is a future playoff game in next year in the 12 team playoff you've got more future playoff games Ole miss and penn state and georgia and florida state on Saturday, building up to a huge Lions-Cowboys matchup in the NFL. Of course, on that's right. That's Monday Night Football on Saturdays, right? Get that right. And then, of course, on Sundays, uh, Sunday you've got division championships everywhere. You got seating on the line. You got Miami and Baltimore. All these huge games, and of course, that is capped on New Year's Day by two hopefully epic college football playoff games. Of course, ESPN Radio has you covered for all of the bowl game action. Tune in tonight for the Duke's Mayo Bowl, followed by the Tax Act Texas Bowl. Coverage begins at 5 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. That, of course, is North Carolina and West Virginia in the Mayo Bowl. And you got Texas A&M and Oklahoma State, two old Big 12 teams in that Tax Act Texas Bowl. So two really good football games today on ESPN Radio. Mike Wells, Braden Gall, and, of course, the story today, however, is in the NFL, and it's out in Denver. And that is that Russell Wilson has been benched by Sean Payton and the Denver Broncos for the final two games of the regular season. They are one game back of the Indianapolis Colts in the AFC wildcard hunt. They will play the Chargers this weekend and the Raiders in the season finale. Two wins and they could make the playoffs. Who knows if they can do that with Jared Stidham at quarterback, not Russell Wilson. Mike, we'll hear from Adam Schefter in just a second. But how surprised are you to see this news based a lot of it on financial implications of the future of Russell Wilson's contract. Very surprised uh, uh, about it. You know, this was, of course, before Adam Schefter reported the uh, from the financial side of things on why the move was being made by the Broncos organization. I, I thought Russell Wilson was showing – he had shown signs of having some life and saying, okay, he's, he's made up for what was a disappointing first season in Denver and not, and not doing much to prove his value in that trade. But you look at what the Broncos have done in recent weeks. I mean, they've dropped three of the last four games after being on a five-game winning streak. And it, it shows that Sean Payton, like, I, I, we're not going to win a Super Bowl, Russell Wilson. We're not going to be, you know, we're not going to be able to go toe-to-toe for years to come with Patrick Mahomes or jo- and Josh Allen and Joe Burrow in the AFC and hopefully Justin Herbert. We don't have, Russell's not that guy to keep us in the mix who can win games for us on a regular basis. And we need to go ahead and cut our losses now and hopefully get that guy we believe that can be able to do that for us in years to come. Here was Adam Schefter, ESPN senior NFL insider, on why Denver's making the move and Russell Wilson's future in the NFL. Well, he's still guaranteed $39 million for next year. So they may move on from him physically, but they will be married to him financially. That's going to continue to happen. Uh, And I just think that Sean Payton didn't trade for Russell Wilson. He wasn't the one that engineered that trade. He came in coaching this year. Uh, There were good moments and bad moments. And we see how that went. And so 
I think this is a message that they're sending that Russell Wilson is not a part of their long-term future. That is ultimately the main point, Mike Wells, and that mm-hmm. is that Adam Schefter, there are two takeaways here. Russell Wilson is not a part of the Denver Broncos' future. We can get into the financial implications and how much dead money versus cap money. It's a whole lot of money. If they cut him and he's no longer on the team next year, there's a whole lot of money. And we can debate the, the merits of the trade with Seattle and the contract extension and all the mistakes that the Broncos have made along the way. They are cutting their losses. And what they are saying to us is that this is Sean Payton's organization moving forward. And I, I don't know. Russell Wilson's still a good player who has some good years left, probably. Sean Payton is a pretty co- proven commodity as a head coach. And so they're putting all their chips in the Sean Payton basket here. You know, I, I, I commend the Denver Broncos for doing this, doing this right now, because you and I have been around sports for a long time. And we have seen teams, they think more about the dollars and cents. And they're like, ah, you know what? We got to find a way to make this work. We gave up draft picks. We, we, we gave him, you know, he's got, we, we're going to be paying him a lot of money. Let's see if we can make this relationship work. Hey, just like in marriages, sometimes things just don't work out. You got to divorce and part ways and move on. It'll be the better for, for both parties. The Broncos believe they'll be okay once they get their quarterback. And Russell Wilson believes that he still has a lot in the tank where he can still lead a team. It just won't be with the Denver Broncos. So I, I give him props. It, it is it's an ugly scenario, but, you know, kudos to Denver realizing that they're acknowledging they made a mistake and traded for Russell Wilson. I think what, what is next is a great question for both parties, for Denver for next season and for Russell Wilson. Andrew Hawkins, ESPN NFL analyst, had some thoughts earlier on the show today about Russell Wilson's future in the NFL. My gut says absolutely. I mean, it is really hard to find quarterbacks. And you can say what you want about Russell Wilson. He is better than the majority of NFL quarterbacks. And I would, I would stand on that. And this year, when we see backups and we make superstars out of people like Tommy DeVito for a couple of weeks, <laughs> only to watch this event for the same old people, absolutely. I'm looking around the league, and I can think of five to ten teams that become instantly better with Russell Wilson. That was Andrew, Andrew Hawkins. What's interesting, Mike, is the question, what is next? What's next for Russell Wilson is he could become, in theory, if he's not traded, which, is, which seems unlikely because of his contract status, that he is cut and becomes a free agent. So Russell Wilson will have some power in his future decision. And I agree with Hawkins there in saying that he is probably better. I'm not going to say better than the majority of NFL quarterbacks, but I will say he is probably better than, what, the bottom third? Like he's clearly better than probably eight to ten starting quarterbacks in the NFL. I think that's fair to say. So he's going to have some power in that decision. But the far more interesting discussion is what's next for Denver, which is are you going to run Jared Stidham out there for all of next year and try to rebuild in the 2025 draft? Are you close enough this year to go get a quarterback in the draft this year in the top 15? I, I don't know what's next for Denver other than a whole lot of cap hit and a whole lot of trouble or a whole lot of rebuilding they have to do very quickly. So we, we just spent the last segment talking about Drake May and Caleb Williams. Um, those two guys will you, you like taken in the top five of the draft, potentially in the top three of the draft. Are there any other quarterbacks? Because who knows what's going to happen in the final two games. The Denver Broncos could end up finishing with a 7-10 record, which would move them up from their current spot at number 14 likely. Are there any other guys that, hey, they can move up a couple spots and take them with the 7th, 8th, ninth pick in the draft? 
There are names that are possible that could be graded out throughout the draft process as in that range. Michael Penix at Washington, I think, is a fascinating prospect. The offense he runs is great. His arm is big. He can make all the throws. I, I think there's going to be some, like, <laughs> he's just an interesting character. So there's going to be some interesting stuff there. I think with Bo Nix, I think it's sort of the athleticism. Can he stand in the pocket and make all the throws? I think he made a bunch of throws this year that he's never made before in his career. That'll be interesting to see. He's not as big as people think. Jaden Daniels is a fascinating player because he is very Lamar Jackson-esque and has great touch and takes care of the football. But Lamar Jackson's like 218 pounds. <laughs> like, <laughs> Lamar Jack- like, and he still gets hurt all the time. Jaden Daniels is, is like a buck 75. And I would be very worried if I'm drafting Jaden Daniels in the first round. I got Quinn Ewers at Texas might also be in this conversation. But some of those guys you could get in the second round. So if I'm the Broncos, I'm not looking to, to, to move up this year. I'm trying to kind of be bad this year, rebuild, and try to – See, yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, I would rather – I think I'm I'd rather like, take the guys I, from the next draft. I, I'm not a big believer in that whole rolling the dice to suck again because – you never know what's going to happen, happen next college football season. Who's going to be – who could get injured or True. what could happen. True. I just think that that is a gigantic risk when you say, we'll just suck for another year and improve our draft stock. I think well, that's you're, – you're grabbing those dice and you're trying to get a 7 or 11 in that situation. Could, could it is Okay, this is a good – I agree with you in theory. Could it also just be like, look, we're going to natural – we're not going to intentionally tank because I think tanking is something different, right? I think tanking is like – intentionally not trying to win, which I think people use too liberally to apply to bad NFL teams. (laughs) Like, sometimes you're just not good. And the Broncos don't have an offensive line. Jerry Judy's kind of been a bust. Like, they've got to fill holes. Like, they're just not that good. I live in Nashville. The Tennessee Titans aren't tanking for anything. They're just not very good. (laughs) So there's a difference there between understanding that you've got to replace a lot of pieces on your roster to get better and, oh, we're intentionally going to lose to be better, like, to be, be a better draft pick. You see what I'm saying? Like, I don't – I'm not saying that Sean Payton has that, that DNA. I don't think he has the tanking DNA. Same way I don't think Mike Vrabel has the tanking DNA in his, in his, in his bloodstream. But, like, they're just, I just don't think Denver's good enough personnel-wise to be that much better next year, especially when you take Russell Wilson off the team. So does that make sense? Like, I just think they're going to be – hey, we look at this as a two-draft class rebuild. Yeah. And, and if we can do it as quickly as that and find a quarterback in one of those two draft classes or in free agency, then they've got an opportunity to be good in 2025. But I don't think you can fix all their problems in one offseason. Dang, I know, I know 2024 is, is days away, but you say 2025, it seems so far away <laughs> <laughs> as, as we sit here today. <laughs> Man, yeah, absolutely. It's, hey, time flies, baby. Uh, time flies. Uh, Carlin versus Joe on ESPN Radio. He's Mike Wells. I am Braden Gall in for the guys. Brock Purdy, speaking of finding a quarterback late in the draft, Brock Purdy is no longer the MVP favorite, and I'll tell you that he never should have been to begin with. That is next. Carlin and Joe here on ESPN Radio and the Sirius XM Channel 80. This is the Carlin versus Joe podcast on ESPN Radio. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network. 
all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Carlin versus Joe here on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive makes bundling easy and affordable. Get a multi-policy discount by combining your motorcycle, RV, boat, ATV, and more. All your protection in one place. Bundle and save at Progressive.com. You can get to him on Twitter.com. It's still the URL, Mike. Still the URL. Twitter.com, <laughs> at Mike Wells NFL. You can get to me at Braden Gall. In for the guys, of course. The Dr. Pepper call in line, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. Who should be the NFL MVP? Because there was talk, this silly nonsense, Mike, that Brock Purdy, the quarterback of the most talented and most complete and most well-coached offense in all of NFL football, maybe all of football, was your MVP candidate going into Monday night. Well, I think we learned that wasn't the case. And I didn't think it was the case before. And I think some of this conversation in the NFL, is uh, when you define value, it is about what can you do that no one else can do. It's not only about your supporting cast, which right now Lamar Jackson is without J.K. Dobbins, without Mark Andrews, without Mitchell, without these pieces. Josh Allen doing more for his team than Brock Purdy's doing for his team. So there's value there. I would say Tua is doing more for Miami in triggering that offense than what Brock Purdy does. What is it that... like? Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen have skills that are of value to their offense that no other human possesses. And that's why Lamar Jackson is as special as he is. That's why Josh Allen is as special as he is. While Brock Purdy is great for this offense, and he is absolutely efficient and could win multiple Super Bowls and could be a great quarterback in the future. And I like Brock Purdy. I loved him coming out of high school as a big-time recruit going to Iowa State. It is so much more about Shanahan and Samuel and Trent Williams and McCaffrey and Kittle and Ayuk and all those pieces. And what does Brock Purdy do in that offense that is special? And I don't know if there's a singular trait that he has that makes him more valuable or more special than the guys that are truly unique, which is Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, those types of – Patrick Mahomes. I would put Patrick Mahomes on that list. Well, 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 of course, definitely. I mean, we've seen Mahomes be, you know – be be the magic man a number of times, and I'm a big believer. I'm definitely a big believer in thinking Brock Purdy is part of part of the, part of the system of Kyle Shanahan's offense, and like you alluded to, so much talent surrounding him in San Francisco. Lamar Jackson has been dealing with injuries nonstop. The players around him in Baltimore, and all he's done is lead the Ravens to be in position to be the number one seed in the AFC. Because of his ability to run the football and throw the ball, same with Josh Allen, and you know, there's a guy, there's a player I think potentially could be in the mix of the MVP depending on how these last two weeks of the season go. Because one of them, this player is playing against 
the Baltimore Ravens and the Miami mm-hmm. Dolphins in the last two weeks. I mean, excuse me, uh, in the Buffalo Bills in the last two weeks. A wide receiver's never won MVP. Um, what do you think about Tyreek Hill? Never won it. I know in, in, in order for Miami to win, he's going to have to put up big numbers. And he's potentially going to have 2,000 yards receiving. He's got to average a buck 80 over the final two weeks of the season. And, you know, I was mentioning this from one of my friends. He's like, well, if that's the case, Tua needs to be in the mix. Not necessarily because while Tua may end up with the passing yards, Tyreek can get a lot of stuff underneath for crossing and using his speed to really blow, blow, uh, blow a game open. All right, let's, let's – I think there's a lot. So part of the reason I would put Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson ahead of Tua – is because the the Miami Dolphins' offensive system is far more Shanahan-esque, the way the offense is, is run, right? You've got these elite two weapons in Waddle and Hill on the outside. This brilliant running game that McDaniel sort of deploys with Raheem Mostert and Devin A. Chain and, like, the way that they, like, they'll have, like, three running backs in the backfield running, like, flood pass patterns. Like, what they're <laughs> doing is so interesting and innovative and creative in Miami that I think that I almost – don't give Tua, and it's the same thing with Purdy. I'm almost not giving those two quarterbacks enough credit because the systems and the skill around them are so elite. But isn't that what? Isn't that how you su- are supposed to define value? Like if you take Lamar Jackson off Baltimore, which by the way, he's been their leading rusher. I think like three straight games. Like since Mitchell got hurt, the Ravens haven't been able to run the football with their backfield. He is becoming the running game now. Josh Allen is got what 13 rushing touchdowns. Like, I, I want to say, didn't Jalen Hurts just pass Cam Newton's single-season rushing touchdown record, I think, this past weekend? Uh, Josh Allen could catch him this weekend. <laughs> Josh Allen's going to break that record, too. So, Josh Allen, now, if James Cook turns into a weekly star and they line up and run the football like they did against Dallas a couple of weeks ago, maybe we have a different conversation. But Josh Allen is the entire Bills offense. So is Lamar Jackson. I, I don't know. It's It's... Tua is great, Brock Purdy is great, but they are not the most valuable pieces of their teams. The way so, the other teams. So you, you have no interest in having Tyreek Hill in this kind I don't of I don't think a receiver can be I don't think a, I mean I don't know, maybe I'm personally jaded because of Tyreek Hill no, Tyreek Hill's background. <laughs> yeah, well, it's I, hard to vote for the guy, but like and, on the and, field and, on the field, I don't know. You might be right. In in all honesty though, I mean think think about this. The type of seasons that Randy Moss, Jerry Rice, you know, Terrell Owens, the type of seasons those guys put up, and they never won MVP. So it, it's, a, it's a long shot, but also if, if Tyreek Hill gets over 2,000 yards receiving, can't discredit what he's done. So, All right, so it, is he – okay, then how about this? Is he more valuable to that Dolphins offense than Christian McCaffrey is to the Niners offense? Woo! There you go again, Braden. Man, I'm out here. I'm out here having to bob and weave because you, you, you're laying up some good haymakers on me today, man. No, I, I think I, I would say Christian McCaffrey is more important to San Francisco's offense than Tyreek Hill. I would agree with you. It doesn't change the va- like again. Those guys are so valuable. Hill, McCaffrey, all these guys, right? Like Tua, Purdy, like you name it. They're all extremely valuable. But I just think for right now. It is Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen, and what happens over the next two weeks, it's about those two guys. The only other player, again, and don't be, don't be shocked, if all of a sudden the Kansas City Chiefs win two games, Miami loses to Baltimore and Buffalo, and all of a sudden Kansas City is like your two seed, and Patrick Mahomes magically carries what is clearly the worst offense that he's had, right, in Kansas City? 
Yeah. Isn't it clear like the receivers don't catch the passes? Now that Pacheco's injured, the the offensive line's not as good. Like this is as inconsistent a Kansas City offense as Patrick Mahomes has ever had around him. And when they win games, it's because of him. So I, I would have Mahomes almost because again, maybe that's body of work that I'm leaning on there. No, but. But well, this is the worst offense he's had around him, and there there's a chance they still finish with 11 wins and as a two or a three seed. So, well, listen, you you you, you said you hit it on the head. This is the worst offense Patrick Mahomes has had around him. I I don't have any faith that the wide receivers are all against all of a sudden learn how to catch the football. Yeah, I know that that is that is I have zero faith. That's why Patrick Mahomes decided to tuck the ball and run so much on uh, on Christmas yeah. Day yeah. because he had it once once um, Travis Kelsey wasn't open. You know it, there weren't many other guys he was looking for. He's like, ah, screw it, they're going to drop it anyway. So I'm also just going and try to run with things. So it would be great if they got going, but this is the year where if if there's a year to knock Patrick Mahomes out early in the playoffs, this is going to be the year. Yeah, I tend to agree with you, but then again. <laughs> to be the champ, you got to beat the champ, and I would not put anything past you know, any. I would not put anything past Patrick Mahomes. There's just there's just no way. Um, anyway, I, I think again, what Lamar Jackson, when you take surrounding cast and individual skill sets, the two players that are more valuable to their football teams are Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen than anybody else. I don't know how you make a case. There's there's good cases to be made for the other players. Tua, Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, McCaffrey. There's good cases, but I don't know how one of them is better than Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen right now. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that. I think, yeah. And the thing about it, I mean, if Josh, Josh Allen, I think the Buffalo Bills are more of a scarier team in the playoffs than what Lamar Jackson is. And I love what, what Lamar has done during his five-game winning streak, but I think Buffalo is probably a scarier team come, come the postseason. They're also the two teams that might be the hottest teams in the NFL right now. Watch out for those two. That is for sure. Carlin versus Joe on ESPN Radio. Braden Gall and Mike Wells in for the guys. Five incredible days of football begins tomorrow and is capped Monday with the greatest college football playoff ever? Question mark? That is next on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. This is the Carlin versus Joe podcast on ESPN Radio. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really... Who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. How about them Huskies, man? 13-0. Washington offense is explosive. Panics. Folks it to the end zone. Touchdown. 
He doesn't miss. Watching the look on Michael Pinnock's face when Jaden Daniels was announced the Heisman Trophy winner, he's going to be playing for something. Very explosive offense when it comes to the Texas Longhorns. Making it to the college football playoff this year has proven that we are back. Texas quarterback Quinn Ewers shines in big games. Ewers gets it back, throws, end zone, touchdown Texas. Fireworks, the Sugar Bowl should deliver. We could be looking at, in what is the final year of the 10-team playoff era, the 10-year playoff era, excuse me, four-team playoff. Easy for me to say, Mike Wells, Braden Gall here <laughs> on ESPN Radio. We could be looking at what is the best playoff maybe ever in the 10 years we've had the playoff. See, I was going to get it right eventually. The Rose Bowl game, of course, presented by Prudential. Number four, Alabama versus number one, Michigan. New Year's Day at 5 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN and ESPN Radio. The All-State Sugar Bowl, number three, Texas versus number two, Washington. New Year's Day at 8.45 p.m. Eastern time, ESPN and ESPN Radio as well. Two great matchups, the storylines, the layers, the history, the logos, the brands, the end of an era, heading into new Big Ten and new SEC conferences. It's all there. Bill Connolly joining us here, ESPN College football writer. Uh, I do want to start with the X's and O's, though, side of this, Bill. First of all, happy holidays, happy new year to you. Thank you for joining us. Um, Michigan and Alabama, on paper, I, I'm a little surprised that Michigan has stayed the favorite because I, on paper, it, while Michigan has no weaknesses, it is hard to find a specific individual matchup that Michigan has a clear advantage. Can you tell me where Michigan has a clear advantage in the game within the game <laughs> against Alabama? I mean, their defense versus Alabama's offense, that's a pretty big one, I think. Um, I, I, Michigan's been the best team in the country this year. That doesn't mean they will be when they play. Uh, you know, we, we know that you know, they've averaged you know, a couple touchdowns of underachievement in each of their first two playoff games in their history here. And, but this is still an Alabama team that, on paper, is the worst Alabama team since about 2008. Uh, they did improve. Uh, they did, obviously, play their best game of the season in the last time we saw them. But they played about their second worst game of the season, the game before that. And they, they just have not been consistently solid, especially on offense. They are extremely all or nothing. And, and really, if you're playing this Michigan team uh, that has been down for down, game for game, et cetera, the, the, the most consistently awesome team in the country this year, you do kind of want the volatility that Alabama brings to the table. But I do think it, it's going to be a blowout one way or the other. Either Alabama makes the big passes and, and Jalen Milrow, you know, really the first really nicely mobile quarterback that Michigan's played this year. Uh, you know, he either you know, runs all over and they make big plays and they end up scoring 48 points or something – or on the opposite side of that, they don't do much of anything. They punt a lot. Um, Michigan grinds them out and wins by a couple touchdowns. I, it's Either way, I see a double-digit game in this one. I just can't decide which way I'm leaning now. Bill, Bill you alluded to uh, Jalen Milrow maybe using his feet to kind of uh, beat Michigan. As you sit here and break down this matchup, is there anything else, Alabama, any other areas that Alabama can expose Michigan that nobody else in the country could do this season? Well, I think if this is a big play battle, Alabama wins it uh, for sure. Because yeah, I mean, on, on when Alabama has the ball, they, Michigan obviously hasn't faced anything 
like Jalen Milrow, just in terms of, of what his intentions are on play for play. But on the other side of the ball, Michigan's been able to uh, play pretty risk-free ball and grind out you know efficient drives, move the chains, and so on. And if they don't score, that's fine. They'll, they just they move the chains a couple times, then they pin you deep, and their awesome defense takes it from there. If Alabama's making big plays and, and mixing things up quite a bit, then might, Michigan might have to match. They might have to make some uh, big plays of their own. They just really haven't done that at all this year. And, and what's interesting interesting to me is they didn't do it last year either except the last two games of the year when they absolutely had to or, or two of the last three against uh, Ohio State and then against TCU suddenly they were taking chances they were throwing the ball downfield a little bit more and it looked you know aside from a couple mistakes from McCarthy in the playoff it looked pretty good it's just it's been really it's hard to talk about Michigan because they really don't show any cards until they have to and you don't know if they just don't have those cards or if they've been waiting. So we'll see exactly what they unleash here. But it is going to be interesting. Big plays favor Alabama for sure. Bill Connolly joining us here, ESPN College football writer with Mike Wells, Braden Gall here on ESPN Radio. And I'll give you that the Michigan front seven could find some problems with the Alabama offensive line. They have not protected the quarterback for most of the season. I would also argue that to your point about Milrow, it's not just Milrow, but they have not faced an offense anywhere close to the capabilities of this particular Alabama offense. That's my counterpoint. Let me go to the other side of the ball, (laughs) which is the Alabama defense. And Michigan has played a couple of those defenses. Ohio State and Penn State are both very, very good defenses, good lines of scrimmage. The difference for me is, sure, if you want to troll the entire country and run the ball 30 consecutive times over three quarters to beat Penn State on national TV the morning that your coach was (laughs) sort of suspended, like I understand how funny that is. That's a great story. You cannot do that against Alabama, Nick Saban, and you can't do it against this secondary. So it's going to fall to J.J. McCarthy to find people in space. Do they have athletes in space or some kind of trick where they can get their guys into open territory? Because I don't know how they find that in this game. No, this is a really good secondary, obviously, that, that they're facing here. And, um, well, all I can really – it's been interesting. You know, people have tried to talk a lot about the, 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 the kind of the downturn that Michigan suffered over the last month. Um, you know, using my SP Plus rankings, uh, in the last four games, they played the second, third, and fourth best defenses in the country. Um, and against those defenses, they scored the most points as anybody on Iowa. I, I can't remember, by like eight or nine points, I believe. Um, they scored the most points against Ohio State by eight or nine or 10 or 12 points, something like that. And they score the most uh, points against Penn state as anybody. So, they they absolutely kind of it was the lowest common denominator ball. There's no question about that. And they really whatever they've been saving, whatever they've gotten away with saving over the co- uh, course of 13 games, they're going to have to unleash it now. Um, but for the get teams that they played, they still did more damage against those really good defenses than anybody else. And and Alabama's defense doesn't grade out quite as well. The front seven, I think, is. As strange it is to say about Alabama, the front seven is where there are problems. Now, Michigan doesn't have Zach Center. They haven't run the ball as well since he, since he left against Ohio State. But uh, they, they've really, once you adjust for opponent, the, the, uh, the offense has done fine. And, and we'll see exactly where they do find some advantages. I'm not convinced that they're not there, though. You know, Bill, we, we spent a lot of time, and I think a lot of people will be spending a lot of time really breaking down the Alabama-Michigan game. <laughs> that means nobody's talking about Texas and Washington. I know the other one's great. I love the other one. <laughs> what, what, what are you watching? What are you looking for in that matchup between the Huskies and the Longhorns? 
Yeah, I'm really – I mean, this is a really exciting one. Maybe it's just because it is new names, Alabama and Michigan. We're, we've talked about them plenty over the last few years. Uh, but there's all sorts of narratives going on with Texas that they've had to overcome these last few years, and they've done so. Um, and and they both, both of these teams have played in a ton of close games. For the first time in a while, Texas came through in those moments. Washington's always come through in those moments under Kalen DeBoer just about these last couple of years. Um, but, no, I, I – this one's really cool because we know Steve Sarkeesian will come up with a very impressive plan. Both of these teams tend to get started quickly. Uh, so really, you know, that, that may, maybe that means somebody's up 17 nothing after about 10 minutes. We'll see. But both of them get started quickly, and both of them have finished games really well this year. You know, Washington got a lot of mileage out of the run game over the last half of the season. Probably won't be able to do that against Texas' defensive front, but they'll probably find some advantages. You know, Michael Penix has to throw 50 times. I think he'll just say, so be it and he'll go throw 50 times uh, and probably do a lot of damage doing it. So I think Texas is the better team. I think they have just the, the defensive front that they've got much, much better than Washington's. That probably makes a difference over 60 minutes. But, yeah, I, I, this one, there's a lot of energy to this game. I think we're all going to be worn out after the, the physicality of that Alabama-Michigan game, and then this one's going to be pretty high-flying as the night game. I, I'm looking forward to it a lot. <laughs> so it's like the first six or seven rounds of the boxing match that are just throwing punches at each other's <laughs> kidneys and then, of course, we get to the last four <laughs> rounds of the fight, and it's just haymaker after haymaker after haymaker. Right. I, it's true. I, I, I agree. Washington was able to get to the edge against Oregon on offense with Dylan Johnson. That was critical. Texas has probably the best defensive tackles in the entire country. They're going to have to get yeah. to the edge against Texas because they cannot run the football that way. But Texas knows that. And, and, and so I, I find, you know, Washington's unbeatable in, final, in the final moments. Texas has got this we've never been there before thing. It is Truly, I've never been in a playoff game where I had absolutely no clue what was going to happen. Yeah, you have to really – I wrote a piece this morning about just kind of – I walked back through all the playoff races, and I was kind of – it was jogging my memory quite a bit. And really, it's that 2017 game between Georgia for the first – that was there for the first time and the best Baker Mayfield-Oklahoma team. Um, I think there are a lot of parallels with that one. I'm I'm hoping at least. Maybe I'm talking myself into it because I want that game (laughs) again, uh, and and I'm all for it. But this one has – it's really interesting, a lot of energy in this one. For those that don't remember, of course, that was the Rose Bowl double overtime, Oklahoma and Georgia, one of the great, maybe the best college football playoff Probably, game yeah, we had day, yeah. in 10 years. Bill Connolly, thank you so much, man. Uh, best of luck to your, to your Tigers uh, on Friday night. Absolutely. Much appreciated. <laughs> Bill Connolly there from ESPN, college football writer, the S&P Plus, the whole deal. Great stuff from him as usual. Of course, Braden Gall, Mike Wells in for the guys here. Of course, the Rose Bowl game coming up on New Year's Day, 5 o'clock ESPN, ESPN Radio and the Sugar Bowl, Texas and Washington, also on ESPN and ESPN Radio as well. That's 8.45 p.m. Eastern time on Monday night. It's been a busy day, and not just with the college football playoff or with the Broncos benching Russell Wilson. We'll get you the latest from around the NFL. That's next. This is Carlin and Joe on ESPN Radio. This is the Carlin versus Joe podcast on ESPN Radio. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. 
Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. They say what? What? I have to believe one and one is three. I, I can't. I can't uh, operate where one and one is two. They said what? What else is going on around the NFL? His name is Mike Wells. My name is Braden Gall. We are in for the guys here, of course, on Carlin versus Joe on ESPN Radio. And we begin with the Green Bay Packers cornerback Jair Alexander, who was placed on the reserve suspended list on Wednesday for what the team has called contact detrimental to the team. Uh, on Sunday versus the Panthers, uh, Jair Alexander, who's probably their best defensive player, went out for the coin toss. He was not a captain. He called tails, won the toss. He then said that the Packers wanted to be on defense, which I guess is not the same as choosing to defer their choice, which I think is sort of a stupid rule, but whatever. That's my personal commentary. The referee could have taken that to mean they wanted to kick off. But, of course, they allowed Carolina to receive the ball, to start both halves. And because that's obviously stupid, uh, head coach Matt LaFleur basically said, look, we're going to put you on reserve suspended list. Here was Jair Alexander after the game on Sunday. So were you supposed to be a captain? Because the team announces the three game captains and you were the fourth and you called a toss. What happened there? Oh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's only suiting, you know. I don't think Coach knew I was from Charlotte, you know, so. So you just did that on your own? I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, it was like, a, you know, the guys backed me up, you know, so they, they knew I was from here. Did you realize you almost made a big mistake on the call, though? What'd I do? Well, you said we want to go on defense. Yeah. Which, in theory, could have, they could have said, then you're electing to kick to, to uh, kick off, which you have lost the opportunity then yeah. to receive in the second half. Yeah, no, I told them that, uh, I said, uh, I, want, I want our defense to be out there. And they all looked at me like I was crazy. I'm like, I mean, it's pretty simple what I said. Like, I want the defense to be out there. they like, you mean defer? I'm like, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I guess. Which clearly says, Braden, that Zaire Alexander did not know how that works. I guess. Yeah, I guess. I mean, come on, man. You can't be making those type of mistakes. Uh, the fact that he went out on his own, didn't let the head coach and say, hey, hey, coach, I know I wasn't the captain this week, but I want to go out there and be one because I'm back at the house, back in front of my people and everything. That was a bad mistake by him. But let me ask you this, Braden, real quick. Is that to an extreme, the fact that he's got suspended for that mistake? Uh, yes. Number one, the Packers is the best defensive player on the team, and the Packers are fighting for their playoff lives here, albeit very slim. They do have a playoff chance here if they can beat Minnesota and Chicago, not two world beaters. I, I think ultimately, like, yes, Alexander was wrong. He shouldn't have done it. And clearly, if you're going to do it, and he, and he did it because he's from the area, which, again, I'm okay with. But if you're going to do it, don't. You got to do it right. I do, you know, if you're going to go out there, you got to say the right thing. Here's ultimately the problem the rule is so stupid. The rule is stupid. It, it should be, you should just say first half or second half. If you win the toss, you go second half. You don't need to be like defense versus defer versus like, you make a decision in the second half. They make a decision in the first half. I know that it, it just seems stupid. It just seems stupid. The rule. But I. Don't go out there when your coach says not to, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. The full game suspension seems awfully harsh. Yeah, uh, I'm with you on that one. Not starting, maybe? Like, maybe you come out of the second series? Like, I don't know. All right, let's go to let's, let's head down to Dallas, where you never know what Jarrah's going to say. I wouldn't trade. I really wouldn't, uh, reasonably. Uh, and an either are being, being, uh, trying to be as realistic as I could. Uh, I wouldn't trade our position 
for a better one today. Uh, and it has everything to do with how healthy we are at key spots. So he's basically talking about from a health. He's talking more about the health standpoint and not necessarily the fact that they are currently the fifth seed in the <laughs> NFC. I, I really hope that's what he meant and not the fact that his team's on a two-game losing streak and potentially could be losing to the Detroit Lions um, on Saturday night on national TV. I, I and have questions come up about their ability to beat playoff caliber teams again. I, I mean, look, if you are saying I'm not going to trade my team's roster situation or whatever for anybody else, I'm not going to trade our spot that for anybody else, I guess I understand what he's trying to say in that conversation. Uh, as you mentioned, they lost to Miami and Buffalo. But, you know, again, a, a close game against Miami. But they got boat raced by Buffalo. They, you know, they lose to Philadelphia. They lose to the Niners. They've lost to all the good teams. <laughs> so I'm not sure it matters how healthy they are. But don't tell me you wouldn't rather be the one seed than, than the five seed. Like, they still have a chance to win the division. Very small outside chance. But don't tell me you'd rather play three games on the road than play two games at home. Don't tell in, me Jer- in Jerry's world. Yeah, well, it's his world, clearly. (laughs) There's no doubt about that. Uh, Let's head out to Las Vegas, where Raiders interim head coach Antonio Pierce, of course, this team team fighting to get into the postseason. They are 7-8 and despite all the injuries and all the issues, and Josh McDaniels is gone. And Antonio Pierce says, look, I've I've made my pitch to be the head coach of the Raiders. My resume's on the grass. I can put up a fancy presentation. I've seen that before. I can put up stats. I can put up my resume. Um, but the best thing that happened for me was opportunity. And as like I said this maybe last week, you know, the worst day I was going to be as a head coach was my first day. And these days my job, and, and I really take pride in growing each and every day to get better. No different than when I was a player to get better. And by the end, you know, you look at it, whatever your career was and whatever my coaching career is, that you sit there and say, look, yeah, this is what he was. And hopefully Mark Davis sees uh, improvement and growth within our team. He sees the style and play that he wants from the Raiders. He sees a fan base that's behind us. He sees a building that loves coming to work and loves being here and people that's covering the team, enjoying covering the team. And at the end of the day, we got to win. And right now, my record, our record is 4-3. and three. I got. I got to. I got to tell you. Um, I think Antonio Pierce has done things so far to deserve to be had their interim tag removed. But we have all seen that the Raiders they don't make things easy. <laughs> they like they they like to make things more complicated than what they should be. Really? Mark Davis should remove the um, interim tag, but he may be like, hey. We had John Gruden and Josh McDaniels. Let's see if I can get the next shiny prize and not worried about having a guy that the players respect or that the coaches respect, and we want to go somewhere else. Hopefully the Raiders don't screw this one up. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I'd call Josh McDaniels the next shiny prize. Um, <laughs> it's like the, the most retready of all retreads. Look, they beat the Giants and the Jets. No, Nothing to write home about, and the Chargers. Nothing to write home about. They did beat the Chiefs on the road this weekend. It was very impressive the way they played. Zero to three against Minnesota. Zero points against Minnesota, though. Everybody lays a dud. I mean, I'm good with giving him a shot. I'm good with that. And he's right. It's on the grass, and he's getting better. I'm good with that. But it's not exactly. Let's see what let's see what they do in the next two games. They'll play Indianapolis on the road in Denver. If they finish nine and eight with him at the helm, six and three, I think he's made a pretty good case. And that is the best argument he's going to have. 
So there you go. Uh, all right, folks. Uh, Mike Wells, always a pleasure, my friend. Good to talk with you, buddy. Good to Had hang out with you today on this holiday week, of course. My name is Braden Gall. You can get to me on the Twitter machine there at Braden Gall as well. Get ready for the best weekend in the college football, in college and pro football, the entire calendar year. That's my opinion, at least. That's my opinion. Remember, eggnog with bourbon. It's in now. This has been Carlin and Joe on ESPN Radio. Freddie and Harry is next on ESPN. Thanks for listening to the Carlin versus Joe podcast on ESPN Radio. You can listen to Carlin versus Joe weekdays from noon to 3 Eastern on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and on Sirius XM Channel 80. You can also watch and listen on the ESPN app. The Carlin versus Joe podcast.